The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon. And welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we have lived since the beginning of time from the good-evil paradigm. If a thing isn't good, it's bad. And if a thing isn't bad, it's good. We have divided all of life up this way, but with very few things ending up in the neutral category. But what if good versus evil is the wrong paradigm? What if a more authentic paradigm to live from is the one that measures truth and lies rather than goodness and evil? If we could stop thinking in terms of good or evil and start thinking in terms of what's true and what's false, we would not be able able to muddy the water with judgment. We'd be able to gain more clarity about any given situation. And we would then be able to discern fact from fiction a whole lot better. So we're going to get talk about these things today during the show. And uh, so you want to be here for the whole thing. So, okay, let's talk first about the good versus evil paradigm. We live from that because we structured our world based on the, this paradigm that if we could be pre, be aware of somebody else's badness, then we could punish them for it and then we could solve the problem. So it was the people who were the outliers who got published, punished, excuse me, not published, punished, and uh, they were the ones who were, you know, uh, um, sent out of the city, um, scapegoated, told they were bad, um, all these things that we've done for centuries. Now, here's the thing. We've been doing this good-evil thing since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of our known history, we have been living from that construct, that mental construct that there is a good that can be standardized and that there is a bad that can be standardized and that people who are living from the bad should be punished and people that are living from the good should be rewarded. We've been living from that paradigm since the beginning of time. However, we still struggle with the same issues we had from the, in the beginning of time. People still murder people, each other. There's still such things as genocide only even now it's on an even more horrific level because it can be done in a mass murder in a matter of seconds. Um, uh, we, we still have serial killing. We still have rape. We still have abuse. We still have child abuse. We still have all the same exact problems we had in the beginning of time. Our paradigm of good versus evil has not changed any of that. Now, some people would look at that and they would say, well, that's just because we're so evil. 
<laughs> and that's, you know, that's nice if you can stay in the same paradigm. But what if that's not the right paradigm? What if the reason we're still stuck in the same old problems is because we haven't changed the paradigm? What if it's possible that first, there is no standard definition of good that applies worldwide? Second, there is no standardized definition of bad that applies worldwide. And third, that we need to stop measuring ourselves by either one of these concepts since they can't be standardized. Now, that's a big wallop to, to, to sort of try to conceptualize, and it's hard for us to conceptualize because our minds are so stuck in the good-evil paradigm that what's interesting to me is whenever I talk about this anywhere, what I hear first is, yeah, well, what about Hitler? Yeah, well, what about Mussolini? Well, well yeah, what about, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden? What about these people? Weren't they evil? You know, the argument is always in favor of the people that were evil. I don't hear people argue for goodness, which is fantastically interesting to me. You know, I have had one person over the years say, well, what about Mother Teresa? Well, you know, I don't know what Mother Teresa's motivations were. I, I don't, I mean, were they, were they truly good or were they coming from real authentic compassion, genuineness? Or were they coming from some order that I should do this, I should do this, I have to do this, I'm obligated to do this? In which case, I would say it was not authentic. Because you know, if you've been listening to my radio show, that shoulds, ought tos, and obligations are not authentic. They don't come from the authentic self. They come from a, a societal mandate that we've internalized and, and put on ourselves and made ourselves guilty for and whipped ourselves into shape to perform. So... Um, so, so what is good? You know, we say that a person who's never killed anybody is good. Well, by whatever standard you're using, I guess that could be true. But on the other hand, is that person genuinely coming from real compassion, authenticity? Or are they coming from shoulds, ought tos, have tos? Or are they coming from some other more sinister manipulative effort to try to look good, but they're not really, they've got some other thing going on in the background? Uh, we just don't know. And so, how we how will we ever measure it? We can't. The same is by uh, the same is said of evil. Is it was it evil for Hitler to have uh, created the Holocaust? Well, if Hitler by himself created the Holocaust, then I would have to say, yeah, he must have been evil. But Hitler didn't do that by himself. Hitler did that with the help of millions of other people. Not only were his his um, his military and his henchmen um, doing his dirty work for him, but a large portion of the population of Germany at that time thought that he was doing selling them the right thing. They were a, a land of desperation at that point. They were a land that had been uh, had lost a lot of territory. After the after World War One, they uh, had to pay a uh, huge amount of money in the treaty that had been uh, signed. They had agreed to pay this huge amount of money that they didn't have. There was poverty everywhere. Um, employment rate was really high. Unemployment rate was really high. There was violence in the streets. People were really upset. And Hitler came along and said, I, oh, here's, here's what we got. Here's the solution to the problem. All we have to do is say that the Jews caused all this because we think the Jews betrayed us on the front lines in the war. 
And if they hadn't betrayed us on the front lines, we wouldn't have lost the war and we wouldn't be in this position. And not only did he say that, but he also said that the Jews are to blame for everything and um, I can rescue you from it. Now, that is rhetoric that I'm just going to go ahead and say we're hearing the same thing today uh, from Donald Trump. We're hearing uh, the Muslims are the problems and I can rescue you from it. So I just want to keep that in mind. This is relevant for today. Um, in the fact that we can't just say Donald Trump's an evil man. We can't just say Hitler was an evil man. What we can say is that Hitler carried the shadow material for a mass of, of people. They said to him, here, you take our problem and you solve it for us and we will hold you up and we will do whatever you want us to do. Um, you fix this for us. You make us feel less shame about being the nation that got beat in World War I. You make us feel uh, like you're going to take care of us by blaming the Jews for everything that w that's going on. And once we get rid of all the Jews, then our problems will be over. You take care of that for us. And then everything will be okay. So what they did is they took their own shadow material and gave it to Hitler for him to carry. Now what happens when one man has to carry the shadow material for a mass or a collective is that it has to be projected onto someone else or another mass or collective. And that's what happened. He took that shadow material of the people of Germany where, with all their high expectations that he was going to rescue them and make them a, a, a dominant race uh, on the world. And he, and he projected all of that onto the bad race of the world, the Jews. And then, of course, added a few others like homosexuals and Catholic priests and poets and writers and people who wanted to save other people, etc., etc., etc. So, so what happened there is that the people of Germany, not all of them, but a large number, a large enough number to be a majority of the people of Germany, um, projected their stuff onto Hitler, and Hitler took it and then projected it onto another group of people. Not only that, but he had people working for him who thought that they would gain a modicum of power by getting closer and closer to him. So they had their own agendas, just like we have in America, where people think they're going to get power, so they will do whatever it takes to please the person who's got the greater power. Um, so, so that's how that happened. It didn't happen because Hitler was evil. It happened because, uh, because there's uh, a way of doing what I call shadow dancing. A whole population can project onto one man their shadow material, their dark stuff, their there's stuff that they don't want to have to deal with, all the the guilt and shame and darkness that they carry and put it on this man, and then he's supposed to carry it for him. But what he's going to have to do in order to do that is to give it to somebody else. And we could do that today in America. We could do that right now with our votes. We could give our shadow material for one, to one man, and he could carry it with, us, with him. Um and then projected onto a whole other group of people, in this case the Muslims, the Mexicans, any people of color, homosexuals, gays and lesbians, all, all of those people, same thing that Hitler did. He would have to project it all onto them so they could carry the shame because he don't want to have to carry it. That's how that works. And it, so it's not really about good and evil. It's about truth on fiction. The truth is that we have the capacity to pass our shadow onto other people. The lie is that the only problem is whether or not a person is good or evil. 
we cannot even measure what's good because we don't really know what's going on in a person's heart. And one of the things that is said openly in, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Quran, in several of the other sacred texts of the world, and including the Bible, is that what goes on in a man's heart is what is the decisive factor. What goes on inside a person is what's really going on, and we don't know that. And yet, we have spent centuries trying to measure ourselves and each other's by a standard that doesn't even really exist and cannot be measured because we don't know what's going on inside of another person. And very commonly, we don't know what's going on inside of us. So how can we measure it? And yet, we've continued to hold to that standard and we've continued to believe that if we just get do everything right in some kind of moral rightness, then, then everything will be okay. But a more accurate rendition of reality would be if we do what's true, then we will learn to deal with what's not okay. That's, that's a more accurate paradigm and it gives us greater clarity. Why? Because the waters are not muddied by, by guilt and shame. So that we are in blame um, and shadow dancing and all the things that come into play when the goody bull paradigm is the only one we can think of. So instead of looking at people and saying, well, he's an evil man or she's a good woman, then what we could say is what I know of this person, what I've experienced of this person is this, this, and this. And then that would be it. That would be the truth of it. So it, it would not be, it would not be um, such a projection that it, it, it creates a, a dim, cloudy, murky field for us to look through. If, I, if people tell me that Joe Blow is an evil person, then you know that prejudices all of my interactions with Joe Blow, if I believe them. But if people tell me that they've had X, Y, and Z uh, really hostile, aggressive uh, experiences with Joe Blow, then that tells me what to avoid with Joe Blow. And it tells me, you know, just where I might stand with Joe Blow in, that, in a similar interaction. That's much greater clarity. Much greater clarity. So um, this whole thing of good and evil is, is wrong-headed. It's not working. We've been trying it for centuries now. It's just not working. It's made no difference whatsoever in how we respond to each other. We have become, in some countries, a little bit more civilized, uh, meaning that we hide better what we consider other people wouldn't want us to want to see. We hide it better. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like working with an alcoholic or drug addict who you tell them what you think of their behavior and how much they've hurt you. And all they do with that is because they need to continue to use, they are not ready to stop yet, all they do with that is hide their drug use better or their alcohol use better so that you don't see it as much and then they can get away with it more. Um, and that's just a manipulative act. It isn't a real act. Okay, so we've gotten goodness mixed up with genuineness and we've gotten badness mixed up with, you know, uh, uh, lostness inauthenticity, the inability to connect with our deeper souls. Um, so, and how, how in the world does that happen? Well, the next um, segment, we're going to describe how a person might become a bad person, what we call a bad person, and how a person might 
decide to become what we call a good person. But but for right now, um, what we need to know is that goodness is not the same as being real. Um, a person who is a good person or is perceived to be a good person may not be at all. And very often we're tricked and fooled by that because we have the good evil paradigm that we're looking through. Uh, people, uh, a person might do some really th- things that we consider to be good deeds. They might give lots of money to charitable organizations. They might um, spend Saturdays at a food kitchen. They might, um, uh, um, you know, uh, do things that we consider to be good things. And yet, in their heart, they're doing all of that just to manipulate, doing all that just for show. And behind the scenes, they've got all these really uh, things that we might consider to be bad going on. Uh, so it's important for us to be able to, to to know what's really true as opposed to what looks good. Again, it creates a lot more clarity. Uh, we, we, we need clarity if we're going to make decisions about our interactions with other people. We need clarity because it helps us get in touch with our own authenticity. Um, and striving to be good only uh, means that we have set about uh, to develop some standards for our behavior that may or may not be true to who we are. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and that way I'll be a good person. And maybe that that uh, is really meaningful and genuine, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just stuff we do because we are scared to not do it because we're, tr- we're afraid that if we don't do those things, we'll be unworthy. You see, this good-evil paradigm has set us up with a myth. And the myth is that worthiness is based upon whether, we're, whether or not we're good people. So we can't measure goodness. We can't really know goodness. We can't really know what it is because we don't know what's in a person's heart. And besides that, goodness, what's good to one family or society might be bad to another. So we can't really measure it. And yet, we're trying to decide whether or not we're the worthy, worthy people based on whether... Or not, we're doing something that we can't even measure. That's the definition of insanity, if you ask me. So, um, this whole thing about good and evil has just, uh, it, it will end where it ends. I don't know when or how it will end, but it'll end in some kind of way that helps us, I believe, understand that the good evil paradigm just is not effective at all. It doesn't help us in any way. To judge other people as good or judge other people as bad. To judge ourselves as good. To judge ourselves as bad. To say some people are worthy and other people are unworthy. To say some people deserve something and other people don't deserve something. Those words are all about the good evil uh, paradigm. And they don't, they don't set us up for clarity. They don't set us up for um, uh, a direct route to our own authenticity or a direct route to somebody else's. They set us up with a lot of murky unclear, unfounded, unstandardized uh, uh, stuff between us and other people that keeps us from really trusting ourselves or others because we're never quite sure that we're good enough. And that problem is pervasive around the globe. Regardless of religion, it's pervasive. Um, It's, I believe, a little more pervasive in the West where there's this whole concept of being born into original sin that sort of makes everybody believe that, or makes at least people of certain religion believe that, um, that that we're just basically evil 
you know, that's our basic nature is to be evil and we have to do something to work our way out of that or, or, or ritualize our way out of that or pray our way out of that or something. Otherwise, we'll go to hell because that's where we belong because we're evil. Um, so we could talk some more about that, but the, the idea is that it, it's more entrenched here in the Western culture where that whole paradigm has ultimate consequences in eternal, uh, eternal hell. So those consequences are not even certain. We can talk about that after the break, too. We'll start there when we come right back, which we will be right back in just a moment. So stay tuned for more right after the break. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you just seem to be stuck in the same pattern over and over? Sometimes life seems to be about just spinning your wheels. It never has to be that way. Listen for Welcome to the Mosaic Garden with host Christy Ellen, the Mosaic Shaman. Mosaic art is a lot like pieces of our lives. They just need to be put back together, one piece at a time. You deserve to live a happy life. We hope you'll tune in. Welcome to the Mosaic Garden airs live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Sit back, relax, breathe. Reconnect to the still, small voice within. Take the time to make a weekly visit to the sounds of the heart with host Sandy Goldstone. This unique program will help you cultivate and strengthen your heart's connection and feel love, beauty, and joy. You don't need to fear or suffer. Heed the call. Say yes to living from the heart's truth. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Join the evolving consciousness of humanity. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back, and I said we would talk about those consequences and how people get into the good evil paradigm, and we will do that in just a minute. But before we go there, I want to tell you about Oprah Winfrey Network's uh, new uh, docu-series. Um, it's going to be a 10-part docu-series called The Hero Effect from Dolphin Entertainment and United Way. The series will premiere on November the 12th 
with two 30-minute episodes airing monthly on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific. The series is co-hosted by Donald Driver, NFL Super Bowl champion, and uh, was also on Dancing with the Stars, and actress and advocate Emily Wilson, who was in the newsroom, Russell. Presented by United Way and produced by Dolphin Entertainment, The Hero Effect is an uplifting docu-series that brings to life the stories of ordinary individuals who are making extraordinary differences in their communities. Shot on location in 10 different communities across the country, each episode will celebrate everyday heroes that facilitate beneficial, life-changing impact on the people around them. The heroes featured in the series were identified in part through nominations from 1,200 local United Ways across the country. Each episode concludes with a call to action, encouraging viewers to visit www.heroeffect.com and connect with their local United Way or other community-based organizations to create positive change. So this is an opportunity to really get in touch with your own inner hero and to find ways that you can begin to change your community in ways that are uplifting. So I would encourage everybody to check it out. Remember, it premieres on November the 12th with two 30-minute episodes airing monthly on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific. All right, so I said we would talk a little bit about the consequences. In the West, generally speaking, it's not true for every citizen because there are many other religions in our country. Many uh, uh, people are Muslims, many people are Hindu, many people are uh, Native American and have a Native American spirituality. Um uh, many people are, are um, from Sikh, from other religions all around the world. So um, I don't want to say that this is uh, true for everyone, but it is a, uh, the majority of, of Americans uh, have a westernized religion, which is based in the concept that there is such a thing as original sin. And because that's true, we believe that there's at our base, we are evil people who, without some kind of intervention from the divine or our own behavior, are doomed for hell. Um, so I could make it a big argument about that and, you know, all the reasons why that can't possibly be true. But I'm not going to do that today. What I want to talk about is the consequence. We believe in consequence uh, that hell is one of those, eternal hell is one of those where um, we're afraid. I mean, I heard somebody uh, say just the other day, well, I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell, because this, this, and this, and this. And they were laughing and joking about it, but really it's, the, it's this sort of a subliminal undertone for all of our actions that, that, um, that we could possibly go to hell for what we do. So that's one consequence. So if we're bad people who haven't done the right ritual, haven't said the right prayer, or haven't behaved according to some the right way of living, according to very depending on which particular denomination of the Western religion you participate in, then you're going to hell for eternity. That's it. It's over for the rest of eternity. You get punished. Um, and so there's that, which is pretty awful to consider, um, especially if you're a little child and parents are telling you that that's where you could end up going for eternity. Um, that's, uh, in my view, a form of spiritual abuse to tell that uh, to tell a young child that they could go to hell for forever if they don't perform certain ways. Um, but I could talk about that on another day. But uh, but not only that, there's also consequences in in other religions that have been westernized from the American perspective. So in the in America, the westernized version of karma is what goes around comes around. You're going to get yours. Um, 
you know, uh, you, everything that you do comes back to you. Um, and the truth is that uh, neither one of these things are really true. So that's why we need to start thinking about it in terms of good and evil. I mean, uh, true and false instead of good and evil. So do people go to hell? Well, I, I don't have a memory of dying and finding out what happens there. But we have a lot, a lot of people out there having near-death experiences that are telling us that there's no such thing as hell. And when we get to really exploring the root language of the Bible, which I've done uh, in previous shows and will do again, there's no such thing as hell. Hell was a metaphor for how suffering occurs on planet Earth when Jesus talked about it. It was not talking about an eternal place. It was talking about uh, a, a a uh, place in the heart, the mind, where suffering occurs, and that we can be stuck there for long periods of time. And that's really true. That piece you can look around and see every day. Um, uh, so from the, and the perspective of karma, what goes around comes around, that's not always true. There's a lot of people that don't have any come around. <laughs> you know, and they say, well, well, maybe not in this life, but in the next, they'll get it. And well, that's nice mythology, but mm, can't really prove it. Can't really can't really base that in truth. What that means to us is somebody's going to get it because they were bad, and again, that's based in the good evil archetype. Uh, you know, there's certainly things that I've done that were good or bad that got no reward or punishment. Um, there's another saying out there that says, um, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, which is said in a sarcastic way very commonly but there's a there's a basic core belief in that that you know we we don't get the good that we're supposed to get so in the christian bible it says that uh there's a place where it says that you know what you will reap what you sow and people quote that endlessly and say assume that oh well if you're sowing bad deeds you're going to get bad stuff back um, and yet that doesn't happen. We don't see it happen. We see people get away with all kinds of things in front of our faces. Most recently, we heard Donald Trump talk about sexually assaulting women, and there's been no criminal charges. No, Nobody's stepped up to investigate that. Um, so people get away with all kinds of things. Um, and and then we would say, well, it'll happen in some other life then. He'll get his. Well, I don't know whether it will or not, so I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go with what I can talk about in truth. I'm going to go to the truth. The truth is there's a mystery to what happens after we die that not, not none of us really can put our fingers on it and say, this is it. This is how it is. Um, and so we just have to live in that mystery. Um, and, and that peace allows us to be still. And in the stillness, we get to something called truth. It's a groundedness, a sense of knowing, a sense of understanding life on a deeper level. And that we can trust. All these other things are just intellectual abstractions. We don't really know for sure whether or not somebody will get it in the next life. We don't really know for sure that somebody's going to go to hell or heaven. We don't know these things. But what we do know is that we can settle back into a truth that we can find inside of ourselves in the stillness by just going, okay, that's a mystery. I don't know what that is, but I can sit inside myself with it and see what comes up. And then we get to something deeper. And the people that have had across the board, um, there's been some exploration about uh, 
spiritual experiences that people have had, regardless of religion, and and in all religions, Christianity, Hinduism, Sikhism, Muslimism, Islam, um, you know, all kinds of uh, faiths that are smaller and don't have a, aren't the world religions that we think about typically. Uh, have had religious or spiritual experiences that where they experience the same exact thing. A feeling of stillness comes over them. And from there, they're able to uh, uh, feel this great euphoria and feel this deep connection to something called divine or divinity and feel uh, a union with that divine source and feel a union with all of creation and feel uh, a sense of knowing that life is good and meaningful and and grounded in safety and grounded in a certain kind of of being taken care of and they have the same exact kind of experience across the board so we formulated some religions that might say well this is how it really is but what is the truth our our, our in the western culture in particular our religion is based in good and evil and and but if we sit with the truth very commonly we find something very different from that it isn't true that we're separated from the divine it isn't true that sin separates us from the divine it is true that we're all one with the divine we just have forgotten that and and so we get to that when we get to that unitive experience that isn't based in any religion whatsoever that's why the paradigm needs to shift from good good and evil to true and false, to get to something that that rings true to us, that resonates as truth within us, instead of something that we just believe because somebody told us that was the way it was. So this good-evil paradigm is all about what somebody told us. Mothers and fathers, um, teachers and Sunday school teachers and preachers and pastors and imams and gurus and everybody is telling us what's the right way. This is the right path. But what's really right for you is something only you can determine. What's really true for you is something only you can determine. That that your path will be based in a, a deep you-ness, a deep I-ness, a deep I am that comes from something very real and genuine that is your authentic self. That path can only be determined from within. It can't be told by somebody else. But children are raised every day in the paradigm of good and evil. And that's how we begin to identify as either good or evil. So we wonder, are, are these children that, are, that just do these bad things when they're young and just keep doing these bad things, are they just bad seed? Do they, is there a biological origin to this? Are they born bad? Well, I suppose that it's possible, and just exploring this from a true, true false sort of paradigm rather than from a good evil paradigm, um, what we want to do from the good evil paradigm and just go, well, that kid's evil and dust our hands of it. Let's put him in juvie and then let's say, get him on into jail and let's just be done with it. We don't want to have to think about it. We don't have to contemplate on what's really going on inside. We don't want to have compassion. We don't want to have empathy. We don't want to do all that. That's too much work. Let's just brush our hands of it, be done with it. He's evil. We're done. Bye now. Um, but if we look at it and explore it, from the, it, it is possible that if reincarnation exists, somebody may have identified with evil in, a, in one life and carry that into the next life. That's a possibility. I can see that. On the other hand, how does a person identify with evil in the first place? Well, if there were no paradigm of good and evil, you couldn't identify with it. So that's A. 
That's really important for us to understand. If there's no paradigm of good and evil, nobody can identify as good or evil. Uh, So there's that. There's also um, that if a child is raised in a home where there's a strict or rigid moral tone to everything and that he he or she is called bad or told that they've done bad things every time they turn around, then that child is likely to identify as a bad child. Very commonly, I hear this story told in my office that the child is the one who calls himself the black sheep of the family. Oh, I'm the black sheep of the family. Well, how'd you get to be that? Well, you know, when I was growing up, I was always the one doing bad stuff. Well, how did you know it was bad stuff? Well, they told me it was bad stuff, so I knew it was bad stuff. You know, then that's how it happens. You, we imprint to being bad. And then what do you do when you're a bad kid? Well, you have to act bad because that way you can at least exist. Because if you're not bad, then you don't even exist. You don't have an identity. And how can we exist without an identity? So our existence seems to be proved by our identification. And, and that's a psychological construct that is true for all of us. And so this bad kid grows up feeling, I'm, I'm a bad kid, so what do I do? I just act bad. And there gets to be kind of an attachment to that, and it gets to be kind of fun. And the more you do it, the more you like it, the more you like it, the more you do it, and it keeps going and going and going and going. And, of course, in order to get the attention that comes from being bad, I have to do more and more that's bad. I have to go to deeper and deeper levels of bad until finally I may end up being really bad and end up in jail. So... Um, that's how that formulates. It formulates in a, in a cauldron where the only identity I can pick up and feel safe being is bad. And so we do. And, we, and ultimately what's really happening there is the parents don't want to see their own bad, so they project it onto the child and the child interjects it and takes that on as if it's theirs. So they're actually making a sacrifice of monumental proportions for the, for the parents. And they don't even know it, nor do the parents. Very sad. So, uh, you know, it's really important for us to keep that in mind. And you could take that same paradigm and turn it around and put good in it. It's just a different flavor. Um, And we're not going to spend a lot of time with that. But but it's really important for us to understand that these things come to us because of how we're raised. They don't come to us because there really is a good and evil. They come to us because we're raised to believe that certain things we do and think and feel and, and, and carry within us are bad or good. And so we don't live out of what's genuine, what's authentic within us. We live out of the paradigm of I'm a bad person or I'm a good person or I've got to be good because I feel bad. A lot of times we're trying really hard to be good people and ended up getting ourselves in trouble with being manipulated by people because we we're trying so hard to be good that we don't let ourselves see what's really going on when somebody's trying to abuse us or manipulate us in some kind of way. I've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. I've got to be a good person no matter what they do. I've got to be forgiving and loving. I can't judge them. All of those things, those mantras keep us involved with people that are going to harm us because we're trying so hard to be good. So those things are not working. These are ineffective tools we've developed over time that that say to us that we should be a certain way, and if we're not, we're bad, and there will be consequence. Um, there are so many things going on in this world every day under the tables, under the under the conscious tables where we are betraying each other and manipulating each other and conniving each other and stealing from each other and raping each other 
whether it's actual physical rape or, or psychological rape, we are doing this all the time to each other, all day, every day, without consequence. And yet, we're also doing a lot of good and be a lot of beautiful, loving, kind actions to other people and also without consequence. So, in the Bible, it says, um, you reap what you sow. That's in Galatians. Paul said that. Jesus said, it rains on the good and the bad alike. Very different paradigm. Much more true. And so that's what, that's what we're talking about today. What can we do to find truth rather than just judgment? And we can't find anything but judgment in the good evil paradigm because that's all there is. It's either good or it's bad. And there's very few things that are neutral. Very few. All right. We're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Did you know that how you are feeling makes perfect sense when you look at it through the eyes of an energy healer? Join Ariel Hardy for Energetically Speaking, a show that will help you to understand what your energy field looks like and how to maintain its balance. With over 20 years of experience as an energy healer, Ariel now shares her secrets of how she stays connected to heaven and earth through challenging times. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It's important to know as energetic beings how to feel grounded and healthy. We strive to help teach about the energetics within you and the world around you. Listen for Three Petals Healing with host Lauren Dillon Merrill. Through her experience and that of her guests, Lauren will bring you the support, encouragement, and knowledge to discover this every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back talking today about the difference between the good versus evil paradigm and the good tr- true versus false paradigm. 
And what we've said thus far is that the good versus evil paradigm does not really carry necessarily the consequences we think it will, nor can we actually define good or evil based in anything other than what we've been pa- has been passed down to us in a particular family or society. It might be true for that society and that fa- and or that family, but not necessarily for another family or or another society. So can't be standardized. Further, we can't define it because it uh, we don't really know what's going on inside of another person. So for all those reasons, good versus evil paradigm can't really be measured, and yet we are measuring our worth based upon it and have been doing that for centuries. Furthermore, it's not working. It hasn't changed our behavior one iota to have this paradigm ruling over us. So what can we do now with that? What we can do is we can begin to admit the truth that we don't really know what good is we don't really know what bad is those are terms that we've come up with to try to control our behavior and it's not working it's not it's not helping us um, so we can start going okay when it, when something happens in our lives we can just start you know the first thing that's going to come up is some kind of judgment so we can okay I hear myself judging and so I'm just going to put that aside for a minute and I'm going to look at to see if I know what's really true because the, the judgment isn't helping me get clear on truth or helping me to understand what I need to do. Um, if I have ruled my life by good and evil, I'm going to try to do something good in response to something bad, which may not get me to truth at all. But if I'm going to do what's true, I'm, I might be able to just say, okay, I'm going to suspend my belief in good and evil for a minute, and I'm just going to sit with this reality and, and look at it and see if I can come to something closer to truth. Um, and what that means sometimes is meditating on it. So uh, you've had somebody, let's say you've had somebody at work um, that you're um, trying really hard to work with and they're unpleasant and difficult to work with. You could just chalk that up to, well, they're just a bad person and judge them accordingly and talk about them behind their back and yada, 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 things that we typically do about that kind of stuff. Um, or you could say, you know, I don't know what my interaction should be with this person, but I do know that I I want to have some kind of interaction with them or I don't want to have any interaction with them, depending on how toxic it is. And I, I'm going to sit with this for a while and I'm going to say what I need to do. I'm going to figure out what I need to do, what's the most honest, most authentic thing for me to do here. And so you meditate on it and you sit with it until you get clarity. You don't do anything until you get clarity. And when you get an answer, it will come in the terms of something you feel passionate or compassionate about, and it will be in terms of a real desire. It won't be in terms of a should or ought to, because those come from the good evil paradigm. Um, and um, so then you'll be able to do that. So you might decide that you're going to put up a boundary that means that you don't interact with this people, this person, except when you have to. On the other hand, you may have to quite a bit. You may have to interact with this person quite a bit on your daily routine and your job. So you may decide that that rather than pretending, you know, not speaking to him or her, uh, which would be what you might have to do if you're going to not interact with him at all on your job, that would be false. That would be uh, inauthentic. It wouldn't be genuine for you to do that. Plus, it takes a whole lot of energy to do that. Um, so you might then decide, well, I'm going to react, re- respond to him authentically, him or her authentically, and I'm going to, you know, say what's really real. So when he or she does something that I find to be um, hurtful, then I'm going to say, wow, that really hurts when you say things like that. I'm going to respond honestly. 
and and see what happens. I'm going to just be genuine and call it for what it is and see what happens. And, you know, what may happen is they might just decide that you're, you're a horrible person. They don't want anything to do with you, and they'll stop speaking to you, in which case you've been relieved of that burden. Uh, on the other hand, they may decide to leave the job because you're uncomfortable to be with now. On the other hand, they might start going, yeah, you know, that's right. That is kind of hurtful for me to do that. And, you know, so we're, we're typically, from the good evil paradigm, we typically look for results. I'm supposed to do A, and you're supposed to do B. I'm supposed to be kind and loving and forgiving to you. That means you're supposed to stop being so mean to me. And that's mythological. We don't, it doesn't happen like way that very commonly. Um, and what we would say is, well, you know, uh, good people, they, they get involved with bad people, and then bad people do what they do, and then good people just get hurt. You know, that has such a simplistic and untrue way of looking at that. Um, people have their stuff. What, what might Joe Blow in your office be doing? to res- respond to you you don't know what, what's going on inside of him he might be having to contend with uh, an abusive parent who he's still living with he may you know have to be dealing with some f- deeply hidden financial issues he may have to be dealing with an illness uh, or you know there's just you don't know what he's dealing with now I'm not saying that we should be saying oh poor Joe that's, he acts that way because he's dealing with so many bad things so therefore I should be forgiving and kind and loving that's not what I'm saying because that's another paradigm of the good evil complex um, but it is, but what I am saying is since you don't know what's going on inside of him or why he's doing what he's doing don't call it evil don't call it bad don't call it anything just respond from truth that's a way that we can do that. And and getting to truth might mean confronting ourselves with our own blind spots, with our own prejudices, with our own biases, with our own stuff um, that's not so nice to look at, and, and, and begin to embrace that inside of ourselves and figure out where that came from and, and, and learn to integrate that stuff. Um, so... This process of being true in, in life is one that allows us to go deeper and deeper into ourselves, confront ourselves with our own stuff, begin to embrace the, and, and, and integrate the stuff that we might have otherwise considered negative or evil or bad, um, and, and to, be, to put it in its proper perspective, a true perspective, rather than a false perspective based in the old good-evil paradigm. Um, and so, uh, so this whole thing, it means that the work we do is very different. It isn't, I've got to always be loving and kind and sweet to people, even though they're horrible to me, which just gets us in more and more abusive relationships. It is more like, okay, what's really true here? What do I really feel? What's really going on inside me? And what do I want to do with it? Because I can work with what goes on inside of me. I can't work with what what you're up to. That's your job. I can't do your job for you. And that's another truth that we get blind to when we're stuck in the good evil paradigm. We think we can do other people's jobs for them when we're in the good evil paradigm because that says a good person can fix other people, right? We should be able to get other people to behave right, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing, especially in the Western motif where we're supposed to witness to people and save their souls? Um, uh, so, that whole idea is based in a falsehood that we can actually control other people, and we can't. So the good-evil paradigm tells us uh, things that are just absolutely false. And 
yet, because we're stuck in it, we're afraid to go against it because then we might turn out to be evil. So what I'm saying is the same thing uh, that has been said by others, philosophers in general, that have said, you know, uh, instead of trying to manage, keep up with the good evil paradigm, let me just throw that whole paradigm out and let me look for what's true and let me see clearly what's false. Let me look at the ways that I'm fooling myself. Let me look at the ways that I'm being fooled. Let me look at the ways that I lie to myself and tell myself things that aren't are, are true that aren't true. Uh, let me look at the ways that I that I am not loving to myself. Let me look at the ways that I uh, betray myself. Let me look at those things honestly and openly, and then I can respond to you from truth. Uh, but we're, that's a, that's work we just don't want to do. It's just so much easier to just say, well, that's a good person and that's a bad person and that's that. We're done now. Um, and then we can treat them according to how we've judged them. That's what judgment really is. Discernment, on the other hand, is, is trying to find the truth. So, so being in truth means being present with yourself and integrating what's really true about you and, um, and, and looking at what's false and seeing how it trips us up. And it also means being present with other people in whatever they are, whatever they present. To be present with that means, okay, I'm going to be here with you in this, and I'm going to decide what I do with it. Now, it uh, may end up being too toxic for me, in which case I will decide to remove my presence from yours, and, uh, and then we won't have an association at all. Uh, that's the reason why I picked the job at work, because very commonly when we're with people at work, they uh, that pro, uh, that are provocative or uh, difficult to work with in some kind of way, we end up having to face our own shadow material because we look at stuff that we are we have against ourselves, ways that we are um, difficult on ourselves or abusive to ourselves or lying to ourselves or tricking ourselves, and that helps us to be able to. Uh, move forward because we can't get away with these people from these people if we're going to keep this job because they work with us every day. So the option is leave the job or stay in the job and figure it out. And that's why those opportunities are very, very good for us and they're very common. I hear this a lot. I've got this coworker. You know, people come into my office and say I've got this coworker who's just you know the B word or whatever, and I'm. I'm, I'm going to have to work with them, and I don't know how to do it. And, of course, the first option I explore is, well, are you, are, do you really want to stay in this job? Well, yeah, I feel like I have to because of this and this and this, and I really want to because I love my job, and I don't want them to chase me off of a job I love. You know, so here you are. And so a way of dealing with that would be to say, I'm just going to stop speaking to them. I'm going to be just as mean back. I'm going to report them. I'm going to do this and that and the other. And those are all strategies. Uh, reporting them in particular might be effective. Might not, might backfire, especially if they've already got alliances with people above you. Um, so then here you are. What do you do with that? Well, you begin to meditate on it, and you begin to look in the mirror, and you begin to look at your own stuff. You begin to ask yourself what you really want, what's really true about your relationship with this other person, what's really false about your relationship with this other person. And you come up with a plan for interaction that might just be much more effective than anything you've ever thought of before. And then what happens? you grow as a result. And that's why these, these encounters with difficult people sometimes bless us in ways that we couldn't have been blessed had we not had that encounter with other people, those people. I certainly have had that happen in my 
life where I've had to deal with some really difficult bosses in particular. Um, uh, I am now my own boss, so that's the only difficult boss I have to deal with. But for several years, I had other bosses and had to figure out how I was going to work with them and had to come up with some, some strategies that were true that fit my authenticity and and make a plan to stick with it. And that created a great opportunity for growth in my life. It made me grow in ways that nothing else has ever made me grow prior to that or after that. And uh, so I'm really grateful for those opportunities that I was given in those positions. So that does not say, well, that boss was evil or that boss was good. And that, you know, they're just bad people and I just need to, shake the dust off my feet and move on. Um, sometimes we do need to shake the dust of our, off our feet and move on, but it's not because they're bad people. It's because the energy that is ab- about the interaction is way too toxic. But we can make that decision based on the truth, not good or evil, but true or false. Okay, so that's what we have for today. We're going to be back again next week. Uh, and remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.